Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal here with Mark DeRosa again this week. Congratulations on surviving the offseason. We've made it to week one. Mark, how are you feeling about the season? Feeling great. It's been a long offseason. Um, ready to get going on uh, hopefully another profitable year. Yeah, I understand that uh, your uh, game day morning got off to a little interesting start on Thursday. Yeah, so, you know, it's 2021 and, uh, you know, things change in the world. And, uh, you know, I woke up this morning and I was having my coffee around, you know, 6, 6.30 and I'm scrolling through Twitter and I see that um, Chase Claypool had tweeted out or retweeted uh, a, a tweet from FanDuel uh, and FanDuel had said, uh, you know, one better had bet $1,000 on Chase Claypool to have the most receiving touchdowns this year at 90 to one, 90 to one odds, you know, the ticket would pay out 91,000. So, um, you know, Chase Claypool, he uh, retweeted it and said, is that you dad? And I, I realized at that moment that it was actually me that had bet that. So, um, you know, I went through my uh, pictures on my phone and, uh, you know, found the ticket and posted it on my profile. So, you know, it's just such, it's such so cool these days that you can actually like kind of, you know, connect with people who are, you know, famous or celebrities or whatnot, um, just being an average person. So, you know, that was a, a great way for me to start the season. Yeah, that's a really fun story. And it's cool that more players, it seems like as it's becoming legal in more states, more players are starting to become aware of it and interact with fans over it. It's, it's fun to see. I think it's just going to continue to become more and more uh, interactive like that in social media as more players start to find out about stuff like that and interact with us over it. It's fun. Um, so with that, you know, let's move on to week one. And but before we dive into some of our advice for this week, I wanted to start out by just sort of having sort of a broad conversation about our confidence level going into the season, because I think it's a good thing for everybody to do to sort of just take stock of where you're at, because, you know, in week one, we should be less confident in all 32 teams than we are in week eight. Once we've seen what their offense looks like and we have a good idea of what the coaches want to do when things are going well, and also how they might respond when things aren't going well. So with, with that said, like downgrade your confidence in everybody in week one, but, you know, we're not going to avoid week one altogether. So like, what's your mindset, Mark, going in to week one? How, are there teams that you just avoid altogether? Are there teams that you feel, you know, enough confidence in to sort of like target those teams? How, how do you approach that? Yeah, so I think you're absolutely right as far as, uh, you know, having confidence or a lack of in week one. You know, every year I learn a lesson. Somebody, every year of week one, somebody teaches me a lesson. You know, I'll, I'll bet against a team or a player and something that is completely unforeseen will happen. You know, whether it was, you know, some unheard of guy who was thought to be a, a practice squad or the fifth string receiver, you know, all of a sudden is, you know, scoring two touchdowns or, you know, maybe the uh, the guy you thought was the, backup tight end is actually the starting tight end. Um, you know, you just, some of these teams are able to disguise and hide a lot of things in the preseason that you just don't really know. So um, I always try to tell myself and remind myself that, you know, you don't know everything and, it, and it's, it's better to approach week one with a, a healthy degree of skepticism, especially towards the, the things that a lot of people seem to be, uh, to think are absolute. So, you know, a lot of the teams that a lot of media people are getting behind. Um, the betting markets are all getting behind. Um, teams like the, the Chargers and the Browns, um, even the Chiefs a little bit. You know, I, I've bet them a little bit under on season wins. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 
those are the ones that I'm kind of uh, less skeptical of my opinion on because I know that the market seems to all agree that they should be awesome this year. So, um, but as far as like teams to be skeptical of, or maybe teams that I'm kind of taking a wait and see approach, I'm always a little bit weary of the teams with the super low win totals like Houston and Detroit, where they're, you know, supposed to win four or five games for the season. Yeah. I've done a study of like past regular season wins and uh, it's an extremely small sample size, but those teams that are on the lower extreme have not, you know, have not won (laughs) a lot of games, obviously, but they've actually gone under their betting total uh, more than they've gone over. So Uh, What does that tell you? It tells you maybe they're not necessarily trying to win. So um, I want to see what kind of effort we're seeing out of, you know, those low total teams to start the year before I, you know, advise taking any kind of bets on them. Yeah, that's a really good point, especially with those teams on the bottom end, especially with some of them like Houston and Jacksonville uh, bringing in new coaches, too. So, you know, you have that added element of unknown. Not only do we not know what the direction of the franchise is, but what, what is that offense even going to look like once they're on the field just with so much turnover? So it's obviously important to keep all that in mind in week one. And then as the season goes on, you know, our confidence hopefully grows in all the teams. Um, but another way that we can gain an edge, even with less information in week one, is just looking at line movement. So, uh, you know, in week one, obviously we have a little bit of extra time to see lines move. Um, what have you seen and how has that informed you going into this week? So I've been looking at the lines that opened uh, in May um, and looking at where they went over the summer until now. And a couple of them stuck out to me. I'll go over three or four of them. Um, Speaking of Houston and Jacksonville, uh, that was one that kind of stuck out to me. The line opened Jacksonville minus one and a half. And now the line is between a three and a three and a half. And um, yeah, I believe that the line when it opened basically assumed that there was going to be no Deshaun Watson. I don't think that the move towards Jacksonville has anything to do with Deshaun Watson uh, not playing. I think that was assumed all along. So I'm a little skeptical of that line move. It's a it's a big move going from one and a half to three, three and a half. Um, so again, if, if there was no you know major injury or anything that's you know kind of crazy about you know players or anything like that you know it makes you wonder if the Texans are really putting forth putting their best foot forward this season if the line's going to move that far um all the news out of Jacksonville in the offseason has been pretty bad I mean the coach has kind of been uh thrown under the bus by the media for several different things and they lost their number one draft pick uh, at TN so um so yeah I'm uh, I'm interested to see what happens in that game uh the next one that I was interested in looking over the line movement was the, uh, the Jets and the uh, Panthers, you know, that's the, the Sam Darnold revenge game. Um, that line opened up uh, Carolina minus three and a half. And, um, you know, recently as of a few days ago, it was all the way up to five and a half. And that's really not a huge move. I mean, the four is, it's a bigger number than say the five or the eight or the nine. Um, but it's not as big as the three and the seven as far as a you know a push frequency. Um, that line came back down, and uh, now it's sitting at four. So we went from Carolina minus three and a half to Carolina minus five and a half, and now it's a Carolina minus four. And uh, the Panthers are one of the teams that I'm looking to bet against. Um, I don't think that Sam Darnold's a very good quarterback. I think that a lot of people can conveniently say that um, Joe Brady's going to fix everything and you know, Adam Gase was the problem with the Jets. So 
Uh, I think somebody agrees with me and somebody had the same opinion. And that's why just yesterday, the line kind of snapped back. Uh, all those five and a halfs got snapped up and now the line's at four. Um, another one that's really interesting is the uh, Seattle and Indianapolis line. And, uh, you know, that one opened up with uh, Indianapolis being the favorite. Um, I believe it was uh, Indy minus two and a half. And now they're all the way up to, you know, Indy plus three. Um, you know, the line barely budged at all until the Carson Wentz injury. And then it was off the board for several weeks. Um, now he's playing and the line is still where it was when he was not playing. So what does that tell you? I don't really know. It either the market doesn't think he's going to be very effective. I know he's gotten very limited practice in. Um, maybe the sharper groups were thinking that Seattle was the right side all along and were waiting until there was more mature uh, limits to, uh, to bet them. And then the wince injury could have, you know, messed up their plans because the line went that way anyways. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see that. Um, the last one I'll talk about is uh, the Dolphins in New England. That line opened up uh, New England minus one and a half. And now it's sitting at three and it's shaded towards the Patriots. So it's like a minus three, minus one fifteen or so. Um, so what's changed since then? Well, the, the Patriots have lost their starting quarterback. I mean, I guess you could say that, um, you know, Cam was the quarterback all off season. He was going to be their starter all year and now they cut him. So the question is, is Mac Jones really that much better than Cam Newton, especially in his first start, uh, at the pro level? Um, I don't know, you know, a, a line of minus one and a half implies like a 52% win probability and, you know, a line of three is about 59, 60%. So going from Mac Jones, or I'm sorry, from Cam Newton to Mac Jones, uh, is it really worth 7% in win probability? I, I don't know. Either Mac Jones is really good or the Dolphins are the value side this week. So. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. I wonder if that comes down to a lot of respect for Belichick and just thinking that if he's confident enough in Mac Jones to ditch Cam altogether and roll with Jones in week one, does, is that just enough to swing people? I, I don't I don't know. It's I could certainly see some people thinking that way. So that could certainly be some of the logic that some people have used to swing the line that direction. Uh, so now with talking line movement out of the way, let's move on and talk about some of the bets that we actually are interested in this week. Now, if you joined us last week, you know that uh, Mark has had a lot of success and made a name for himself in player props. So that's going to be a big part of our podcast every week. But we are going to start out by talking about some sides, maybe even some totals, just depending on what's out there in a given week and what we like. So, you know, Mark, why don't you start off, uh, talk to us about one of the you know teams that you're on for this week. Okay, so I'll lead in with the uh, with the Jets. Um, I've got a plus four and a half ticket. Um, again, I don't think that Darnold's a very good quarterback. Uh, I read some reports out of camp that he was really struggling, and um, you know he had his only real preseason action was against Pittsburgh's you know second and third string players, and um, even then he put up a pretty pedestrian looking stat line. Um, I didn't think he looked very impressive at all. I think his career path is going to resemble that of um, David Carr with the Texans where, you know, they just threw the guy in there on a really untalented team and you know, he just got shellacked for a couple of years. And by the time the team finally caught up to his level of talent, he just couldn't, you know, couldn't perform. So um, 
I, I like the fact that it is that Sam Darnold revenge game. He played for the Jets last year. I think a lot of, you know, they may not have the same coaching staff, but they have a lot of the same players. And you better know damn well that the players know what his strengths and what his weaknesses are. You know, they bring in a new coach. He's a de- defensive coach. Um, Robert Sal, uh, I can't ever pronounce his name correctly. Uh, Saleh or Selah or whatever it is. Um, you know, that guy is uh, been really impressive in San Francisco and he's not working with the same kind of talent that he's got in New York uh, as he had in San Francisco. But um, I don't know. I just, I, I like the idea of uh, having inside information on a player within the organization and then having a defensive minded coach. Uh, I think they'll be able to exploit and I don't really think that the Panthers are, are, are very good otherwise. I mean, they've got some talent at the skill position players, but their defense is, you know, really young. And uh, I think that, you know, four points is a lot. So that's my, my first lean of the week. <clears throat> um, secondly, uh, you know, I'll talk a little bit about the Texans. Um, like I talked about in line movement, that game didn't really make any sense to me as, as why the line has moved that far. Um, if this was a regular week, I would maybe be betting the Texans at the plus three and a half or plus three. Um, being as I don't really trust the intentions of the line move, I'm probably just going to lay low and uh, be watching the game very closely to see you know, how I feel about it. You know, I've never seen a team sign so many uh, guys who were on their last leg. They're on their last contract. You know, they signed like 30 or 50 something free agents. Uh, you know, it, Somebody else had tweeted earlier, it makes no sense for to cut a guy like Kiki Kuti, who was still young, um, could potentially have room for growth to sign, you know, a 36-year-old Danny Amendola the next week. So it really makes you wonder uh, what that organization is doing. Uh, and then the last one is the Dolphins. Um, you know, I like the Dolphins plus three this week um, for the reasons I mentioned before, uh, as far as, you know, how much is... Mac Jones really worth? Do I, do I think that he is worth that difference in win probability? Either he's really good or the Dolphins have value. I, I tend to think that the Dolphins are going to have value here. Um, there's a few things that are really playing into their favor as far as the season goes, uh, you know, year long. A, they're getting their New England game in the summertime. Uh, so they're getting that out of the way. It's not going to be a cold weather game. But what I really like is this is going to be two us first game where he has an offense that's built around him and they actually have two offensive coordinators in Miami. Um, So the offense is built around him. They actually have weapons this year. Um, They're not going to have Will Fuller for this game, but you know, they, they, they brought in their, uh, their rookie wide receiver and um, you know, they're going to have Gasicki. They're going to have Preston Williams. They're going to have Devontae Parker. Um, You know, I really think that, uh, Belichick has not seen the Dolphins offense yet. And I know, you know, between the whole Spygate issue, you know, they're, they're very big on watching tape. So they're going to have college tape on them. Um, but being this is, you know, to his first game as a professional where the offense is built around him, I think you're going to see some, some surprising things out of the Dolphins offense this week. Um, but not only that, you know, the Patriots are going to have, um, they're playing without Gilmore for the next six games, at least. So they're down there, stud quarterback or cornerback. Um, but, you know, Brian Flores, he's a great coach. He's every bit the coach, I think, that Bill Belichick is. And I know that's a bold statement, but I really feel that way. Um, they always perform well under Flores versus the Patriots. So 
you know, I think that the Dolphins are really lucking out drawing New England week one in New England. So. Yeah, definitely. That's huge for them to get that in week one. And as you said, possibly catch them off guard a little bit with some of the changes that they've made on offense. We'll talk about, we'll get to the Dolphins a little bit later in one of my uh, player prop bets, but uh, I'll give you just one uh, team side that I'm on right now. I like the Broncos uh, at the Giants as two point, two and a half point favorites. Um, I know, you know, week one road favorite, not necessarily a popular bet um, typically, but this really comes down to, and we touched on this a little bit last week in our conversation uh, about the Broncos uh, running game with Javante Williams is that it's real. I like that Denver is entering the season with a pretty clear cut plan. It looks like all of their off season moves were about building up a defense building up the running game on offense, getting a quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater, who probably will be better than Drew Locke, protecting the ball better, and just being a better game manager for them in what should be a ball control offense paired with a really strong defense. Whereas on the other side, you have the Giants, and for really as long as Dave Gettleman has been running the show there, we don't really know what the plan is. Uh, They're kind of all over the place. And Daniel Jones, you know, at quarterback, this is the year it's make or break for him. You know, it's possible. Maybe he takes the leap, but I'm going to bet against that based on what we've seen. So when you've got one team who comes in with a pretty clear cut plan against another team who's been all over the map, I certainly don't trust Jason Garrett as their play caller on offense. I just think that that the Broncos are pretty clearly going to be better prepared for this game. And so on a relatively small line, I'm okay with giving the points there. Uh, and I, I think this could be a, a nice, uh, easy win for the Broncos to start things off in a good spot in week one. Um, and so now we've talked about some sides that we like. Let's move on. We, we want to talk about the biggest games every week, even if we don't necessarily have a strong opinion on that. And so we're going to talk about Browns and Chiefs right now. The Chiefs are a six-point favorite at home against the Browns. Now, as I said, neither one of us has a really strong opinion about this game, but we want to at least touch on it. Um, so Mark, why don't you leave us off? Like if you were put in a position, let's say you're in an office pool or something like that, and you had to pick this game, you know, what would the bet be that you would want to make? Oh, that's hard. If it was an office pool, I'd want to try to pick the most unpopular side. Um, you know, I think we've got two of the most overrated teams in the NFL, uh, at least according to me. Um, they're two of the most public teams, you know, most publicly backed on season wins and uh, futures, uh, biggest liabilities in some of the sports books, future books. Um, you know, it's hard to take a position against a team or for a team when you think that both of them are overrated. Um, and I think they're overrated to the same degree. Um, if I had to bet this game one way, I would probably be looking to do something along the lines of an off market, you know, like a really good price on a Cleveland money line uh, parlayed with under on the total, Um, especially if they were a little bit off market. Like, let's say you could, you know, get like a plus 240 or plus 250 Cleveland money line with the under 55 parlay. And I I like to parlay them because I think that there might be a little bit of correlation there. because Kansas City struggles with teams that can run the ball well and keep their offense off the field. Um, you know, you see them lose to these mediocre teams and, and you go back and you look at the box score. Um, you know, I think it was the Raiders last year that beat them and they took them down to the wire in their other game. And then maybe the year prior, it was a surprising uh, result when uh, 
Houston came in there and, and beat them in Kansas City. So, um, you know, whatever team is going to to beat the Chiefs is going to have to control the clock, limit Mahomes' opportunities, and keep him off the field. You know, you're not going to go in there and dominate this team like the Buccaneers did in the Super Bowl. It's not the same team. They actually have an offensive line this year. So, um, so yeah, I, I, if I'm going to bet the game, that's the way I'm going to do it. Um, you know, money lines are generally shaded towards the favorite. And when I say that, uh, what that means is the, the if, you, if, you, if you price something truly at, let's say, minus 200, that's the, the true price, the exact price of what it should be. You know, a lot of times the books will say, you know, they'll offer you, you know, plus 195 and, and but then like minus 230 on the other side. So, you know, the values on money lines generally come from finding the underdog side. I'm not saying they're offering you a positive expected value bet. I'm saying they're taking a little bit less juice on the underdog side. And that's mainly because a lot of these money lines are built into parlay exposure. The public loves to bet. Uh, the favorites on the money line just to win the game and parlay them all together. So, so that's why. Um, so yeah, that's what I, that's where I would go with uh, with the Browns. You know, you just hope that they can control the tempo and and run the clock out and keep the game uh, low scoring and win the game. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think if I had to place a bet, the Browns money line is the way to go. And just to add to some of your reasons, I think one. Uh, one possible flaw that the Chiefs have going into this game, even though we think that they've upgraded the talent on the offensive line a lot and the additions that they had coming into this game with so many new starters, it can definitely take a couple of weeks for an offensive line to gel together. Um, and so I could see this being a game that's kind of ugly, low scoring, like you mentioned, is certainly a possibility. And that maybe that's just, you know, the Browns just luck out as far as getting them in week one. Whereas if this were week eight, I think we could possibly see a higher line on this game. It might be a really easy win for the Chiefs, but you know, this is the spot where the Browns want to get them, where the Chiefs may be working through some things on offense with that offensive line. You know, maybe Miles Garrett has a huge game right off the bat and just takes advantage of some of those weaknesses uh, that, you know, if they meet again in the postseason, probably aren't going to be there because, you know, Andy Reid, certainly one of the better coaches in the game, he's going to figure things out uh, at, by season's end. Um, so, you know, moving on to sort of our next section here, Mark, you know, uh, what are some teasers that you like this week? So, I'm going to talk a little bit about teasers every week and um, there's a kind of a basic strategy that's been around for 15 or 20 years now um, called the Wong teaser. And this is when you're teasing teams through the three and the seven, and it used to be a big secret and now it's really not, um, you know, you, when you're, when you're teasing teams, you're, you're, you're basically getting points or giving points to uh, ma- making your own spread and but it has to involve two teams so let's say you could take a team that like tampa tonight who's minus eight and a half uh if you could take them down to minus two and a half with a six point teaser you're going through the seven you're going through the three um likewise you know maybe uh you want to take the rams who are minus seven and a half this week um that would be one teaser that i would advise you know, you're going through the, through the seven, you're going through the three, you're teasing the Rams down from seven and a half to minus one and a half. So your teaser would look something like Rams minus one and a half with Buccaneers minus two and a half. Um, that being said, the, the pricing goes into those pretty substantially, you know, you need at least, you know, minus one ten or better on those two teamers to really have a chance to win. You can't really win at those land minus 30, minus 40, minus 50, whatever, you know, whatever you're, 
juiced uh, some of these bookies will put out there. Uh, but if there were if, if there were any candidates that might get there this week, it would probably be uh, you know the Buccaneers tonight, um, either the Chargers or Washington football team. If either of them gets to one and a half, I would be a fan of uh, wagering on that. Um, the Niners are minus seven and a half. They're technically a good candidate, but you know road favorites have kind of not performed well historically. Um, and again, the Rams uh, minus seven and a half down to minus one and a half. I, I like that leg. Nice. So now let's, you know, move on to sort of the meat of the podcast, what you've uh, sort of made a name for yourself with is doing player plops over the past couple of seasons. Um, and let's lead off with one of the players that we discussed a little bit last week, Javante Williams with the Broncos. I know you like him this week as well. Yeah. So I was looking on DraftKings and they had uh, over under 32 and a half rush yards. And, um, you know, I have a feeling that he might be the lead back. Uh, I would say there's, it's greater than 50, 50 chance that he is the lead back uh, in Denver. Um, You know, they drafted him with high draft capital, especially for a running back. They've had nothing but good things to say about him in the off season. Um, And perhaps the most telling thing was uh, their last preseason game, they sat him and they put in Melvin Gordon for the first few drives. And, um, you know, I just feel like, you know, they're, they're in a, a fairly good game script where they're a three-point favorite, maybe a row game, but they're still a three-point favorite. So, you know, I think that there's a good opportunity for him to go over that. Even if he is in a reserve role, even if I'm dead wrong, like let's say that I'm dead wrong and Melvin Gordon's the workhorse, you know, 32 and a half is a pretty low number. You know, you can rip a big one and get over that with only four or five carries. So, uh, you know, the guy's definitely going to play in the game. It's just a matter of how much. And I think that there's a lot of upside to going over on him this week. Yeah, definitely. And I think with them being favorites this week, the game script potentially helps him out too. He's definitely more of the downhill move the chains type of runner. And like, like I mentioned, when I said, I liked uh, taking the Broncos this week, you know, I think that's the type of style that they're going to want to play. So, you know, he certainly is the better fit for that style. If they're playing with a lead in the second half, he should, get some extra carries, even if they do start the game with Gordon, maybe they want Gordon to be more involved early, but once they get the lead, maybe they shift over. So this could definitely be a week where it's possible. Both of them see a decent workload. Uh, So now, you know, I mentioned earlier when you talked about the dolphins that I would touch on them again later, you know, I I certainly, I don't disagree with anything that you brought up earlier, but I I am going to take the under on two as passing yards. It's a two thirty-five, And it's not because I don't, that I think he's going to have a bad game this week. It's more about how I think that the matchup might play out and what's going to be available to the Dolphins based on some things that we saw from New England last year. I'll start out just looking at two as numbers versus five or more pass rushers or when the defense brings four or fewer pass rushers. Uh, because his numbers were a little bit, you know, they, they might be opposite of what you would expect. When he faced five or more pass rushers last season, he had a plus 4.3 EPA versus four fewers. It was negative 18.3. Now that, that's not shocking for a young quarterback, but for most quarterbacks in the league, you would expect them to be able to sit back in the pocket and throw the ball better when there's fewer pass rushers coming at them. And two, it was actually the opposite. And it's basically because he was just a little bit better going off script last year. And I think that, you know, we definitely, think that he's going to be improved last year. You mentioned how the offense is going to be better suited towards him. And he's just going to feel more comfortable having a year under his belt now. But, you know, when you're bringing fewer pass rushers, he is, you know, more likely to uh, 
you know, sit in the pocket, possibly have too much time to think. And I think that's where he got, got into some problems last year. And the Patriots were very good at that because the Patriots brought five or more pass rushers only 27% of the time last year. And that was true in the game when they faced Tua uh, late last season. They brought five or more on only six of Tua's 23 dropbacks. And Tua actually had a very efficient game that week. Uh, he completed over 70% of his passes. So he took what was available to them, but they were basically taking away the deep ball by dropping more guys in coverage. Tua was taking what was given to him and he finished with only 145 yards despite having an efficient day. So I think that's a possibility that they'll do that again, and especially having seen what the Dolphins did this offseason. Obviously, Will Fuller uh, isn't going to play this week, but you know he does tip their hand a little bit in terms of what their strategy is going to be, especially when paired with Jalen Waddle, another speedster, they probably want to throw downfield and make two a more comfortable throwing downfield. So Belichick, knowing that, it would make a lot of sense for him to want to try to take that away, knowing how good he is at taking away what the uh, offense wants to do. So I think everything that you said earlier about the Dolphins uh, doing well in this game could absolutely be true. I'm just going to take the under because I think that the way the game plays out it might be a little bit more short passes. Maybe uh, the Dolphins end up then taking the lead and running the ball a little bit more in the second half. I, I'm betting on that side just based on what he's likely to see from New England's defense. Uh, but, and, you know, as we talked about last week, I, I do like to is over on the season. So I'm starting off kind of going against one of my uh, nice season long bets that I like a lot. But I, I think it's very specific to this matchup with New England. Uh, so Mark, why don't you hit me with another one? I think, you know, you mentioned you like Mike Williams with the chargers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I like Mike Williams, uh, over 38 and a half receiving yards. Um, when you look at the chargers, you know, they lost Hunter Henry. Um, that's a big loss. They're replacing him with Jared cook slash Donald Parham or whatever his name is. Um, you know, Cook's been, Cook's like 33, 34 years old. And the last few years, he's been a, a two to three catch a game guy uh, down in New Orleans. Um, I just don't see the Chargers getting a lot of mileage out of him this year. Um, on the other side, you got Keenan Allen, who's, you know, he's going to get his, he's going to get his six or seven uh, receptions. But, you know, Mike Williams is a, you know, former number one overall pick. You know, the previous regime used him as a, a boomer bust deep threat. You know, he had a low, always had a low catch percentage um, and high uh, yards per catch. Um, so, you know, it's a it's a close game in uh, Washington this weekend. You know, it's a, basically a pick em spread right now. And pass attempts kind of cluster more closely with, uh, you know, the closer the game, the more pass attempts you're going to see a lot of times. So, um so, yeah, I mean, I just think that he's super undervalued. I think that the line should be like 48, if not, you know, some 48 to 52 for him right now. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I, I bet him in the offseason, I bet him at like two or 300 to one to have the most receiving yards, uh, basically just based on his opportunity to flourish in this offense because of the targets that were vacated. So. Yeah, I think all that makes a lot of sense. Now we'll move on to, we'll, we'll wrap this up with one that we actually, when we talked before the show, we realized we're on opposite sides of a prop this week, which is interesting, but I'm excited about it because I think it'll be a good conversation for people to hear. Uh, you'll get to hear both sides of this and it'll be interesting to hear if anybody uh, sides with one or the other and how they do. 
we're going to be talking about Najee Harris. His over-under is set to 56 and a half rushing yards. So, Mark, I'll let you go first, make the case for why you're on the under here. Okay. So, I think it's interesting because, you know, you type this up and you have him over 56 and a half, and I have him under 59 and a half. So, you know, we have a little bit of line movement just between the two of us. Watch it land somewhere in the middle, uh, and both of us win. That'd be great. <laughs> um so Pittsburgh you know they drafted this guy they in the in the first round they want him to be the workhorse he's gonna get the carries I know all that's true but they blew up their offensive line in the offseason you know a lot of the guys who rank offensive lines out there have this being the worst offensive line in the league this year uh as far as you know being able to run the ball um and you know I'm not saying that's going to happen but there's a little bit of truth to that I think um I think that Buffalo has got a really good organization and, and they've got a, a firm grasp on uh, analytics I think that they are going to possibly come out and try to you know throw Pittsburgh out of their game plan which you know Pittsburgh's going to want to come out they don't want Ben throwing the ball they want to you know ground and pound you know keep the ball out of Josh Allen's hands so if Buffalo can get out to an early lead it kind of takes Harris out of the game um, and the game script kind of suggests that, you know, with them being a six and a half point underdog in this game, um, you know, maybe it gets out of hand a little bit and uh, he has a hard time getting over that number. So, yeah, I think all that certainly makes sense. I mean, you talked about the offensive line, you know, we, we've talked about it a lot uh, over the offseason when we did our sharp football unit rankings this offseason, when we all voted, uh, we ranked the Steelers 32nd. You know, we think that's the worst offensive line. It wasn't good last year, and none of the moves they made in the offseason look like obvious upgrades. So, you know, I, I certainly can't say that you're wrong in any of that assessment of them. My reasoning is sort of two points here. The first is that I there's, think there could be, despite the bad offensive line, uh, it's not as bad of a personnel matchup as you might initially think. The Bills' uh, defensive line, they didn't do much this offseason. They did add Greg Rousseau in the first round. Uh, but otherwise, it's pretty much the same unit that came from last that came from last year, and they struggled a little bit versus eleven personnel, which is what the Steelers run out of. That was seventy five percent of their attempts last year, and the Bills against eleven personnel rushing attempts, they allowed a fifty seven percent success rate, which is one of the worst in the league. So I do think that early in the game, when Pittsburgh wants to run the ball, they're going to have some success. I don't think they're going to get completely stonewalled because, you know, Harris is talented, obviously, you know they're going to be able to find ways unless the bills have figured something out to fix that defensive line. You know, I don't think that uh, I, I don't, I just don't think that Harris is going to get completely shut out early on in the game. And then the other thing I'm betting on, you know, I obviously don't have any numbers to back this up, but I'm kind of betting on Pittsburgh being a little bit stubborn about the running game to start off the season, because they did spend a lot of time this offseason, both Tomlin and offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, really preaching about, how they need to improve the improve the running game, how they need to be, be just in a better uh, approach to the running game. They talked about it a lot all offseason, even before they added Harris in the draft. And so I'm betting on that in the first half, at least, they're going to lean heavily on the run game. And with a number at 56, 59, you know, anywhere in there, whatever you're able to get it at if you're interested in betting this, that's a pretty reasonable number where if if he gets a decent number of carries, you know, Harris is certainly the type of running back who could just, you know, break a 15 yarder and then you're in really good shape, just purely based on the volume that he's going to get, even if the second half game script doesn't go your way. So 
that that's my argument for taking the over here. Uh, certainly good logic on both sides of that. I wouldn't, I don't blame anybody for being on the other side, but I'm, I'm betting on, you know, a possible advantage uh, based on the personnel matchup and then just a little bit of stubbornness from the coaching staff. And we certainly know NFL coaches are prone to that, especially early in the season where they want to establish what they've been talking about all off season. It's definitely a possibility. Uh, so that brings us to the end of our week one podcast. Mark, this was fun. I look forward to doing this uh, again with you all season. Uh, typically, we'll be coming to you on Thursdays. Uh, we'll also uh, give you some of our Thursday night uh, bets on a normal week. This week, we had to push it back a little bit, but look forward to that in the future. Look for, out for us on Thursdays. Uh, thank you guys for listening in, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>